You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. Imagine a world where every patient has tele-access to every doc and every nurse. Imagine a world where meds are bought at wholesale, pennies a pill versus dollars a pill. Surgery, imaging, same idea. Zero measurable doc burnout or infection risk exists. Imagine a world where you get an hour with your neighborhood doc and they know your kids' names and they know all about your health. And imagine where it's all paid for by the boss who gets a massive ROI for offering this and they are post-COVID heroes in this story forever. Like I did, zero turnover, half my absenteeism. I get only eight candidates these days, and they flock to interviews to get free healthcare, and it costs me only $105 a month. And the net promoter scores are in the 80s versus the 50s among PCPs. Well, this is the world I'm describing as direct primary care. And our guest today knows all about it because his wife was deeply involved in this. So currently, there's 1,200 clinics in America with 2,000 providers that offer about 300,000 members last count, but that's probably way down now after COVID, that are in direct primary care world. It's a small world. Imagine a world where everybody wins, doctors and nurses and PAs and MAs. You don't go to medical assistant school now to learn medical terminology when you're actually processing money all day long. And that's 13 out of 14 MAs. Imagine a world where every patient and employee wins, where every employer wins, starting this hero's journey I'm talking about where population health wins and people are actually getting healthier in healthcare. It's not transaction care anymore. And costs are actually lowered doing all of these things. It just sounds impossible, but this is my world I live in. And imagine a world where bloat and administrative waste and fraud just literally disappear. And we're talking about somewhere between $750 billion and a trillion and a half dollars. It just disappears. Employers could use a $1 trillion buried treasure in their health spends to eliminate crime in their neighborhood like our guest did on show 42, Rosencare. So you're going to remember Ashley Bacot. They have invested in their neighborhood and crime went to zero. Graduation went, rates of high school went up to 100% and college graduations rates went up to 75% in a very, very tough neighborhood. They've been doing that since the 90s. And their turnover is one-fifth of that of their hotels. And imagine a world where dramatically less meds are prescribed in fact, radiology is down 65% in this world. Surgery is down 80% in this world. ER visits 50% less. Overnight stays 30% less. And specialist visits down 62% because primary care can handle a lot of this up front. This is the world I live in. This is the world we've been measuring for 10 years. It's called direct primary care. Imagine that world because it's coming at you. Now I want you to imagine a world with you as a best-selling author. God knows you have the time now, don't you? I have five, maybe six books in me, maybe seven books in me. I've completed two of them. One of them really sucks, and one of them I think is going to be great. And I, that one I went ahead and recorded to audio perfection. I have the titles. I have the book cover design. It's all completed. The ISDN numbers, all the stuff I didn't even know about, 
I didn't have to ask because I had somebody holding my hand called Scribe Media. And that's going to be our guest today. It's an actual team literally holding my hand every step of the way. And this company is led by a literal rock star of an author himself. Today, you get to meet Tucker Max. And he, did, he doesn't really need an introduction because he pretty much is well known already by you. But he shares the rare air with only three other American authors. And you may not know that. Renee Brown, Malcolm Gladwell, and Michael Lewis are the only other three American authors that have simultaneously had several New York Times bestseller books on that list at the same time. He literally created a whole new genre called fratire. It's a new thing that is about writing about blending college idiocy, sex, booze, and brutally honest humor into a book. And today he's a family man with his amazing wife, Veronica, who actually had a DPC practice and has a very large group of nurses that look to her for entrepreneurial leadership, but more importantly, has three gorgeous kids. And Tucker is the co-founder of Scribe Media, as I said. He's teaching 900 plus people a day, literally thousands of people last week on a Zoom call on how to write a book for free. This is like a $5,000 value that you can get for free because Tucker has lost his mind. Tucker, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. My, my, so, you know, my wife still has a direct primary care practice and believe it or not, they've actually increased subscriptions uh, recently. They have a bunch of businesses coming to her now because of coronavirus. Okay, I, can, I can imagine this is a dream time for DPC. It's actually kind of a golden era. Well, so Tucker, I have one favor I asked you at the beginning of the show before we got on the air and I said, just, I want you to be Tucker unfiltered. So if you have children in the room, um, cover their ears because you're going to hear I got an over and under with uh, Jeremy that we, we're going to hear at least 30 F-bombs. He's got the over and I've got the under. It depends what we talk about. Like some things I'm not passionate about, other things I am. So yeah. it depends. If I've done a good job, do I get a lot of F-bombs? Uh, it depends. It depends. Maybe. <laughs> it, I only drop F-bombs when I'm excited or angry. Okay. Those are the two reasons. Okay. Well, let's hope we get uh, one, the former, not the latter. All right. Well, so we're going to talk about your journey because it's been an amazing rise with amazing crashing and self-destruction. And so you've mastered this wisdom piece called self-destruction and have a lot to teach us there. Um, and I think maybe a lot of people right now in their 14th day of self-isolation are maybe feeling like a prisoner. Maybe they're feeling like uh, they can't even get outside their room. Like my son, I went to go visit yesterday in Austin, uh, literally felt like he was trapped. And he didn't, when we went outside and he saw people jogging and biking and walking together and like actually commuting with their dog, he was like, I didn't know people could do that. He was amazed. So... I mean, there's a lot of people that are sort of trapping themselves, aren't they, right now? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We go on walks every day. I mean, we're not stupid about it. We don't go to the grocery store and all that, but like that we go on family walks every single day. Yeah. yeah creeks, nature walks, stuff like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the kids got to love getting out of that house too, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. They love it. Yeah. And Veronica's like not going crazy, you know, trying to be a homeschooler every day. No, no, no. We have, we have granny in town. Thank God. So like she's... She's basically got the kids doing art. They just, they're young enough that they just finger paint and do art and then run around outside and they're fine. Yeah. How old are your kids? Five and a half, three and a half and nine months. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Well, so let's talk about um, what you've lost your mind completely. You're giving away what you used to charge for for free. Tell me what, what were you thinking, my friend? Yeah, so so um, we have a, an on-site, an in-person workshop uh, that we charge $5,000 for. Uh, where we basically walk people through every single step of our process on how to write your book. And then we, you know, we kind of get taken by the hand guidance, give them feedback on everything. And so um, once coronavirus hit, uh, we realized, well, everyone's going to be stuck at home. They're going to have a ton of time. 
and everyone wants to write a book anyway. So this would be the perfect time to get online and teach the world exactly how to do this. And so we decided to do it. We decided to teach exactly what we teach in the workshop, right? Now, the thing we aren't giving away, obviously, is our time, right? So like people are still going to come to the workshop and pay because the real benefit is of the workshop is you're getting individual time with editors, individual feedback, you're getting all of that kind of stuff, which is like really this the serious value add. Um, but now you can learn our entire process and work through it with the templates and everything totally for free. So that there's two big benefits for us. The branding benefit is huge. People think like we, I spent five days online for like three to five hours a day, every day last week teaching this. We had thousands of people show up. I mean like into the multiple thousands, I think 5,000 was the peak. Um, and so all these people now think we're amazing. Uh, that's number one. Number two, we actually got a lot of sales off of this. We're predominantly a service firm, right? So like people come to us, to, like Ron said, you know, hold my hand and kind of do the work for me. Not the thinking work, but the back end stuff of the book that's annoying that has to get done. We do all that. We had, uh, we had over well into the six figures in sales we've had this week because of what happened last week. Like people who were on the fence about working with us or thinking about it, they saw uh, uh, me and my team teach this and they saw how knowledgeable and professional we were um, and how much we knew and they were like, I'm in. They were totally sold. That's number two. And then number three is, this actually uh, really hurts our competitors, right? And that's not really the main reason we do it, this is just an added benefit, but most of our competitors make most of their money from selling information. They sell courses on how to write books. We don't. Most of our information, in fact, all of our revenue really is services. We help people with like the editing, the publishing, the marketing, that kind of stuff. So if we can give away what they sell, it brings their clients to us and puts them in a really bad position, right? So they either have to pivot to be like us and they, they're not going to be as good or they need to go into a different business, right? So we, it, it dramatically increases market share for us. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think, I've, I have lost count of how many different people I've been handed to, but I know I have Natalie, my editor, she's sort of the quarterback. I know I had an artist, then I had a person that helped the artist with the blurbs on the back. And then I, that's a whole nother person. And then I had your partner and he's like the marketing guru. And then I had a couple of different editors, maybe three different editors. There's the Chicago style to make sure that the words are all looking like a book. And then there's uh, content editors to say, did you really mean to say this? Cause I have no idea. I'm lost. I don't know what you're saying right now. And so you got kind of macro editors and micro editors. Then you got the final editor who sort of, I call it the diamond polisher. You know, they get it really nice. Um, so I had at least seven or eight people and almost every step of the way I felt really nurtured and taken care of. There was, I mean, I've shared with you that writing a book is like the most joyous birthing of a baby that has zero pain, but all the labor and deliveries on the back end when you're trying to perfect it. Cause we, we entrepreneurs are, have ADD of the worst kind and oh my God. And you said, and you told me the same thing when you wrote your four books, painful at the end, wonderful in the beginning, right? Yep. It's always, always how it works. Oh my God. And when I say painful, I mean like excruciating, you know, like I wake up in the middle of the night going, God, I got to call her back sometime. You know, I just... <laughs> Ron, I've written seven books, I think like major books that I've published. I hated every single one by the time we got to the editing process and the publishing process. I hated them, hated them. It's sort of like, it reminds me of, you know, my wife obviously has had three kids. We've had three kids and we did home births for, for all three. And so like, when she gets pregnant, she's all excited. And then as the baby's growing, she's excited. But then about month 
eight to nine, she's like, get this damn parasite out of me. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then, but then, and then when it comes like labor's terrible and birthing is painful and awful and she hates it. And she's like, I'm never doing this again. And you know, like just like in the worst state, but then like once the baby actually comes out and she's holding it, she like loves it and whatever. And it's so funny to talk to her now. Like, cause a lot of couples who are thinking about doing home births come talk, friends of ours come talk to us. Cause my wife's done three and, and my wife will say things like, Oh, it's amazing. You'll love it. It's wonderful. And I look at her and I'm like, honey, you were there. <laughs> I remember <laughs> you screaming and shit, all this stuff. And she's like, yeah, she's like, I remember that. Like what you're saying is true. She's like, I just have no emotional connection to it. You know, mm. which is exactly true with the book. Mm -hmm. You, you love your book when you start it. You hate it when it like uh, when it's coming out, like the process you're at now. And then when it comes out, you love it and you forget all the pain that came in the middle. Well, let me you give you a shortcut. Let me, let me get you the shortcut to get past the labor and delivery last twelve, you know, last twelve Hi, hours. Russ. No, I'm gonna tell you, no, this is amazing. No. Yeah, you rest, but I'm telling you how I got past the first time was so painful. The second one I did, I actually went into an audio recording booth with a guy that really knows how to get the written word or how to get my personality out of me, I should say. And so I go to Greg Otterholt. I'm in just south of Seattle in COVID country now in Washington State. And I am literally talking into a microphone like I'm doing right now. And he is making me say it again 72 times. Now try it this way. So I can imagine like Jim Carrey recording a cartoon would just be, you know, massively painful. But that's what it was like. So I just, and finally he got out of me, you know, where I'm sound like I'm on a Hallmark channel talking about my book. It's like, and now we're going down the to the merry-go-round, you know, and he had every version of my voice. So that pain actually wrote the book for me. And I gave it to Natalie and I said, here, this is it. Do not change one word, period. And so I went past all of the, actually bypassed your three editors. And I've now got the book finished in a way that makes me happy. Because it's, it went, in other words, I went audio first. Does that make any yeah. sense at all to you? It does that. So, so you kind of did that on your own. We actually sell that service. That's our high-end service called Scribe Professional. And so what we do is we take people just like you who are brilliant, but don't like writing and are kind of too ADD to write. And we, we have a structured process where we interview them and all they have to do is get on the phone for about two hours a week. And they just talk about what they know. And oftentimes they don't even realize they're being guided. They don't realize that we're following a process in the back end because it feels just like a conversation to them. But what our editors do is we have a very structured way to first get you dialed in on, on basically your positioning, which is why are you writing the book, right? Like what do you want to get out of it? Who's the book for and why are they going to care? And we have a very specific structured way to do that. Once that's clear, then we, we kind of get the structure and then we interview, do a kind of a short outline and then interview you to get all the content out, right? And so it, it, what you did is a great way. It's just a cheaper, easier, not easier. It's a cheaper way to do what we sell the most people. That's probably 70% of our business is the interview process. So one of your competitors on the West Coast who uh, rhymes with Schmanig. Hey, I felt like I was being upsold or cross-sold the whole time I was with him. Like, here's the package, but then you really need this, but then you want to have this. And so, like, it's 75 grand when I'm through talking to him. And it's like, so he he make me up for some kind of a mark. And I'm really yeah. frustrated that I had, like, this upsell. And I didn't really get a hint of that from you guys until one moment. And I called you and you said, Ron, I would never do that. That's not part of our model. Uh, that horrifies me. And you took that away from your whatever process y'all had because I think I might have asked for some of that and they said well that'll, that'll be an extra and I went oh my god you know so now what I'm just telling you if you're going to do business with Tucker you're not going to get upsold or cross-sell just tell them what you want up front 
Tom, you're made of money and you want to do this process because it's going to be much, much easier on you and you'll have a lot more fun. If you want to do it my way, which is a little bit cheaper and harder, um, you've got to actually write something down on, and you've got to be prepared for editors to just chop it to shreds. And that's what's going to happen. But um, I loved writing this book. It came out of me like a, like a baby. It just, I couldn't sleep for three days and boom, you know, and it ha happened again the second time. And I've already asked permission from three other people that I want to write about their companies. And they've all said, oh, hell yeah, we love what you're doing. So I, I really see what I'm doing as a series and uh, that will never have an ending. But what is your favorite book you wrote and what way, what made it your favorite? Um, so this is going to sound a little pompous, but it's just the truth. My favorite book is always my next book. Okay. Um, the ones that I, I'll tell you why. Because the ones that I've written, I feel like they were a great expression of who I was at a time and place. And then once I get it out to the world, it's like it's no longer mine. Mm. It was entirely mine in the conception, entirely mine in the writing. Then in the editing, I really start thinking about the reader. And I edit for the reader, right? Because uh, like if you don't, then you'll just have a really cool book that no one else cares about. Mm. And so um, uh, once I get through editing then the book has really kind of stopped becoming mine. And once it's out, it takes on its own life, mm. you know? And so like it becomes this product that the world now, they, they, they make their own opinions about it and they have their own determination, their own whatever. And so my favorite book is always the one I'm working on now because it's the only one that's actually mine. That's a very elitist, snobby writer answer, but it's it's just the truth. Like, it's, like, like my favorite book is the book I'm working on right now with uh, this doctor, Dan Engel. Um, we're doing a book on he's a, a he's big into psychedelic medicine, using that as as a adjunct for therapy, and has uh, helped me immensely. And so we're kind of doing the book that teaches people how to integrate that, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm just obsessed with this book because it's I'm going through the process, uh, his process, and and kind of the process of the therapy. And it's been groundbreaking for me. And then I'm also writing the story of it, right? And so I'm completely enveloped in it and I love it. By the time it comes out, I'll hate it. And then like, it'll go do what it does. And it might be a huge hit. It might be okay. It might change a few lives. It might change the world. I have no idea. But after that, it's just not up to me. Anymore, I, I'm going to predict that if you're talking about psilocybin, you're going to change the world. It is. It's MDMA and psilocybin are his main sort of things. Yeah, yeah I, I, it's already changing the world. Just, we haven't. John Hopkins has got to do a little bit more research and then we can know that for a fact. But I'm not, what I'm worried about with psilocybin is that we don't have big drug companies able to make a living off of it. So it's just going to kind of be a word of mouth kind of thing. Well, so yeah, I mean, I can tell we can talk about this if you want. I invested in Field Trip, which is one of there's about eight comp eight to twelve big company or companies trying to do this space. I think where they're going to make money is for psilocybin specifically is they're going to have clinics because just taking the mushroom is beneficial and can be amazing, but you really want set and setting are important and what's called integration, which is the therapy before and after, right? The the mushroom by itself is a catalyst for change. It does not, it's not just a magic pill, right? And so like, you gotta have to go through a whole program. And so I think the companies that pair the medicine with the programs are, are gonna do really, really, really well. That's the company I invested in Field Trip. It's, they're in Toronto. I, they already have clinics. Look, I yeah. tried it and I did the five grams. I dried it out. I know it was the right product. It had zero effect on me other than I was a tiny bit giddy. So I didn't see what everybody else sees or have the effect everybody else affects. But the people I've talked to that it did affect, it's literally life-changing for life. I mean, it's not like a you don't need to go back and do it again a year later. It's It 
completely changes their outlook on how the world works and the universe. Yeah, it, 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 well, see, there's different different medicines for different things. Like MDMA is very, very different. You can use LSD for therapy. There's other things. Ketamine works really well for certain people. Like nothing gets rid of suicidal ideation better than ketamine. Um, there's other 5-MeO-DMT. Uh, like I'm kind of deep in this world now because of this book. And 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 uh, but the, if mushrooms didn't work, there's other medicines that that may may help. Okay. It just but again, it's set and setting an intention. Like if you don't go in with the right intention they're not going to have a huge impact. But if you do, then they can. Oh my God. The Tucker Max that wrote the first book is going to look at mushrooms a whole different than the Tucker Max that writes the eighth book, isn't he? What's so funny is I didn't do any of this stuff when I was young, man. I like literally only drank. I have never done drugs recreationally in my life. And now here I am like doing them, but doing them therapeutically to like talk about my childhood and get grief out and all this crazy stuff that dude, 15 years ago, the idea if I was 29, if I told myself, or 44-year-old me went back to 29-year-old me and said, hey, you're going to be doing a lot of drugs in 15 years, but all <laughs> for therapy, I like. there's no possible scenario I would have believed that. Well, so, so let's get into that a little bit, Tucker. You went through a great rise early in life, and you came down with a great fall when the movie that was created about the frat tire didn't succeed. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about you know, that journey and how you recovered and maybe you're still recovering and maybe the, uh, you know, the psilocybin, et cetera, is helping you with that. Yeah. So, um, uh, like my first set of books, my first fire tire books did really, really well. They kind of broke out. Um, and it, it was early on in the internet and it was, uh, uh, I was like one of the first ones to kind of capitalize on this. And then, uh, my books hit a certain cultural zeitgeist, you know, like all the stuff that most men and women do in their 20s, drinking, hooking up, acting like idiots. I did the same thing. I just wrote about it in an honest way under my real name. And so like I got all the praise uh, for that. And then all the, you know, all the the controversy, right? Because there's all kinds of people who, you know, think that that sort of lifestyle is wrong and you shouldn't do it and it's immoral and blah, 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 blah. And so, um, so I got both, right? Uh, and then there was a movie made about my first book. It didn't do very well. And that by itself is not a big deal, right? But it was totally soul crushing to me, which should tell you kind of who I was at the time, like very narcissistic and grandiose. Uh, uh, but it's so funny to say, a movie made about my, I had a movie made about my life before I turned 34. And it, the fact that it wasn't a massive blockbuster was a soul crushing life-changing moment now you want to talk to your 32 year old self and say you freaking idiot yeah dude it, like it, it just tells you how deeply narcissistic i was but then also like narcissism is just a defense to a you know deep wounds and 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 other psychological emotional issues right which i didn't understand at all at the time and so the movie didn't do well. And then, so I, I kind of, I had still had plenty of money. Like everything was fine in my life. I was just emotionally crushed. And so then I started, that's how I started my therapeutic journey. It's like figuring out why, like think about, I still had all these amazing best-selling books. I had all the success. I had all these great friends. I had a great life objectively, but I still felt terrible. Why? And so I had to, it, it was a long, long journey to really understand that uh, at a core level, I didn't really like myself. And I didn't understand why. And I, I had to understand that a lot of that had to do with uh, my childhood. And not, not, not even, my parents made a ton of mistakes and weren't very good parents, but blaming them isn't the solution, right? I had to understand, recognize what happened and then work through those issues. Like even if, 
someone did something to wound me, it's still my issue. It's not theirs, right? And I still have to work through that. And and so, like, I started talk therapy. I spent four years going four times a week at that. And then as I just kind of, which worked great, but then it, you can only talk your way through so much. You have to feel your way through the rest. And I had spent 35 years avoiding, pushing off, not feeling my emotions. Um, it took plant medicines for me to... To, to connect with my emotions, right? It, it not, you know, these things are not the only way to do it. It's just the way that worked for me. And so um, uh, I did MDMA therapy about two years ago, a year and a half ago, and it just broke me open, man. It was totally game-changing. Like I had no idea I could feel that deep of love and all that kind of stuff. And then from there, man, I kind of went down that rabbit hole and realized one, I had a ton more therapy to do, but two, none of it was thinking. Like I knew all my problems. I knew what they were. I knew how my mom and dad weren't there for me. I knew how, you know, they were narcissistic and blah, blah, blah. And like they were just working through their own stuff, blah, blah, blah. But it didn't get me through. I had to sit and feel it. And so that's what I've done the last year and a half is felt all those emotions and, and let them go so that I can just like, now it's, dude, I'm so calm. I'm so content. Um, happy is the wrong word. Uh, I'm much more just like settled and centered. How about you, you know? like, like yourself I, again? You're full again. Your cup is full. The, the reason you don't like yourself is because you aren't accepting the whole self, right? And so I had a lot of pain and grief that I was pushing away. And, and I just had to sit and feel it. And it, dude, it was overwhelming at first, man. Like for me, just for me, um, LSD therapy helped with the grief specifically. I like just me specifically. And I remember like, you know, I was working with a guide and uh, I took a very small amount of LSD. And then, you know, you start talking about some stuff. And then I just basically spent eight hours heaving full body racking sobs, like eight hours. And I woke up the next day and I could not have felt better. It was like I had been carrying around a thousand pound backpack that I let, uh, that I set down. And then it was so easy for me to go in and really recognize both painful truths about myself, things I had done wrong, things I hadn't done wrong, things I was shaming myself about, all of that stuff. I was able to like see it, let it go, and integrate the whole self, like the weaknesses, the vulnerabilities, along with the strengths and, and the great things and all that kind of stuff. And now that's how you like yourself is you have to accept your whole self. I'm gonna give and I was uh, not. I'm gonna give the listener a scribe media tour through what I think can help you get where Tucker's describing. I've never actually recommended any product or service, but I'm going to recommend the Mankind Project, which is something I went to about 12 years ago, a weekend. Um, can't talk about it, but I can tell you that I go every Monday or Tuesday night and I have a group and we go through what I call psychodynamic um, remembering of your life, your past life, your childhood, your uh, hurts and your wounds. And you really physically go through exactly what Tucker's describing Women Within is the female version of that, and Boys to Men is the teenager version of that. Uh, my wife, before we got engaged, I said, you've got to go do this. My teenager who was going through a rough freshman year in high school, I said, you got to go do this. And he and I can talk in a language now of clearing and of giving each other space. And I just, I always thought this was like kind of California talk or kind of woo-woo talk, but I got to tell you, I call it my anti-stroke, anti-heart anti -heart attack club because now I have a group of men that I love that are like brothers. I can go to Corpus, I can go to San Antonio, I can go to Wimberley, I can go to Houston, and I have a group of men that know me and love me and accept me, and I can cry openly and heave like you did, Tucker, in front of a bunch of what were strangers before that are now brothers. 
So um, that is a process like Scribe Media is for uh, getting through your emotional pains. That sounds amazing. Like would you, that's humans heal together. Yes. And so, right. Like the, all the medicines were, were helping me do it that exact same thing. Yeah. That's incredible. I've never heard of that. I'll invite you to a zoom meeting next Monday night. You can come see what it's all about. It's cost literally nothing unless you want to go to the weekend and then it's a little few hundred bucks, but I've been doing it for literally years and I don't have to join anything. I don't have to pay any membership. It's amazing. Um, well, so Tucker, let's talk about when you finally woke up to the new you, you wanted to embrace, was there an incident or a moment or was it you meeting Veronica or was it you just, you know, sick of living this life? What, what sort of shook you up? There wasn't one moment, right? That's how it works in the movies because you have to visualize these things. There really wasn't one moment. If there was a moment, it was the day that, that I realized the movie wasn't going to be a hit. Like that was really hard for me. That kind of started the journey. Um, and, and what's funny is, like, I didn't, you know, there's a narrative uh, for a lot of people think, oh, like, bad boys change for the love of a good girl. That's not true. I had to have my shit together when I met Veronica or she wouldn't want to be around, me, you know, like, she wouldn't want to date me. Like, I had to do a lot of work to even get to the point where I could be in a good relationship. It was honestly, it, Ron, really what it was, man, is just the realization that this can't be what life is about, right? Like, I, you know, when I was poor and broke and nobody... And everyone thinks, when I'm poor, broke, nobody, everything will be fine when I'm rich, famous, successful, or whatever, some version of that, right? And I got way more rich and way more famous and way more successful than I ever dreamed I needed to be. And I, I felt a little bit better, but like 10% better, you know? <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, well, so that doesn't work. So what, what now? And so then, like, that was, it was just a constant question in my head this can't be what it's like and now it's funny I'm getting now to the point where it's like um I'm realizing this is like I have the life that like I wanted and that it is what I want it is enough you know it is the next step is letting go of all the desires right which is like that's a buddhist stuff that might be that that's a little tough I'll get there eventually I think but right now it's like I'm like oh I have this amazing wife I have an amazing family. I have great kids. Like, uh, I like being, I don't just love my family. I actually like them. Like, I, I love, coronavirus is great. I don't, I love spending more time with my kids. It's fantastic. Like, I have no problem with that. It's amazing for me, actually. And so it's like, that's the big thing for me is getting to that. It was, I had to get in touch with myself and my past and all my shadow and all my dark stuff and process that and let it go to be able to sit in the light that I have in my life. You know, it's interesting. You know? I, when we checked in, I saw your face, you know, maybe 18 inches from the camera and mine was about 18 inches. And so you think about life. When's the last time you were 18 inches or 36 inches apart from somebody and looked them right in the eye the whole time they're talking? This is a different way of communicating. That's actually more intimate in a strange way, even though we're yes. you know miles apart. And then this family thing, I was, I walked with a friend who was a great business associate, actually knew you in college. And I said, do you remember her? And you said, man, I, I was with a lot of women. I don't remember her. Sorry. And, but she, her, her little kid came up with the nanny on the sidewalk from the opposite direction. I said, hey, Max, what are you up to, man? I said, are we going to get to go and play Silly String again next time I come over someday? And he goes, yeah. I said, you want to do that right now? I know. He goes, yeah. And I said, but we can't do it right now because just we can't touch each other and it wouldn't be right. And he goes, yeah. I said, what is all this about? What is going on here? And he goes, this is God giving the, the planet a rest that it needs. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Five-year-old. I mean... God, I want to be a grandpa. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I know. Hi, girl. And then the other beautiful thing that's come out of this is that you are now 
maybe going crazy with Veronica in the first day or two or three or maybe four. And maybe you want to, instead of hand her the hairdryer, hand her a gun, you know, to blow her hair. But, at, you know, by the fifth or sixth day, you kind of hit your rhythm and you get your blocks of time and it all seems to work out. Um, but uh, I love spending time with my wife. We're having like a second honeymoon. It's it's really been a nice uh, break. I, I, I love it. It's so funny. I think all coronavirus is doing or all the impacts of it is just showing us who we are. So if you had a good relationship, then it's getting probably better, right? If you didn't, it's like, okay, it's just revealing is all it is. Yeah, exactly. What is the most, um, one of the, my favorite things that you have said on the internet, uh, Tucker, is, um, and by the way, if they're modern guys, they would be named Izzy Newton and Willie Shakespeare, you know, going to St. Edwards University. But what would the, what did those two guys do during this pandemic of their time to create great works? Tell tell that story. It's an amazing. Well, story. yeah, I mean, it's just uh, they lived about I think it was like sixty uh, years apart or something. Um, so th there were you know multiple uh, pandemics in uh, in the sixteenth, seventeenth uh, centuries, in especially in, in Europe. And um, New uh, Shakespeare during one of the pandemics wrote basically his three two of his uh, three iconic plays. He wrote King Lear, uh, Macbeth, and Tristan and Isolde uh, uh, when he was essentially quarantined, right? Same thing, and what's funny, Newton is even better. So Newton was like a, what would the equivalent of what you would call, we would call a grad student at the time uh, at uh, Cambridge, and um, was sent home for the year because of a, a, of a plague outbreak. At home, actually for two years, he spent two years at, uh, at, at home, he had all the time in the world to think, and he came up with essentially his two great contributions to the world, calculus and his theory of gravity. Like, you know, the story, it's not really true, but, but the, the images of, you know, the apple falling on Newton's head and, like, he understands gravity, that, that happened at his house in the countryside. Like, it didn't happen at Cambridge. You know, that, like, this time away is a blessing if you use it that way. Yeah, I'm not smart enough to remember the Latin words that were in there, but Newton called it his like opus, his grand opus. This is going to be his time of great discovery and great production. And yeah. I am finding that is 100% true of me. I never worked as hard as I have during this virus. And it has to do with connecting with people, going on walks with people, but it really has to do with creating the next version of what healthcare can be. And I couldn't be more excited and I, have, I couldn't have found smarter people to work with. So um, every day has just been... Uh, my my grand opus personally I, I feel as on fire as i ever have been in my life are you finding some of that yourself absolutely like it, it i i really like constraints uh force creativity right and so like i mean this is going to be an amazing boon for our business because like i we should have put this free book workshop out a while we had plans to it just we had never done it and so this forced us to do it and we had a massive response and so that's like the world being like, okay, do more of this. So that's literally the next year. My only job essentially is creating great content that people want and helps them and putting it out to the world. That's it. Like I'm not working in the business uh, uh, on the business anymore or even in it. I'm just promoting what we are doing and sharing what we are doing uh, and helping other people do what they want to do. Because that's what's going to end up helping. Because the business is strong enough now. I don't really need to be in it anymore. Like, that's what brings us all the attention. And then also gets all, I mean, it, dude, we had 5,000 people go through the workshop last week. 5,000, right? The, the overwhelming majority will never be clients of ours, which is totally cool. But a ton of those people 
in nine months are going to produce or a year are going to produce these books, their books, right? And then those books are going to change their worlds and other people's worlds and whatever. And so like, that's why we started this company, right? Is to help these people do it. So if we can help like millions of people write their book and then, you know, a few thousands, 10,000 becomes clients, clients of ours. Great. Cool. No problem. Everyone wins. Do you, do you feel like you've hit your life's purpose that you're sort of operating that sailboat on full tilt where it's humming? Or do you feel like you've got your best years ahead of you? No, I think best years ahead. Um, I think uh, like th this is one of those things where if you do enough, um, even, if, even if you do the psychedelics for therapy, you get a lot of the weird weirdness, like the going to other universes and seeing the future. And who knows how much of any of that is accurate? Maybe none of it is. But um, I, I, I'll tell you, one of the things that I've seen pretty clearly a couple times is um, that this is a stepping stone to something else for me, right? Uh, and that like, this is like a training ground. And that and so was what I was doing before. Like I, what I was doing before I had to do and I had to go through that and I had to learn all those lessons, right? And then this is sort of a staging ground for something else. I don't know what it is. And one of the things I've learned how to do is surrender uh, to, like, if, if I was religious, what I would say is I trust in the grace of God and I'm not going to, you know, I trust in God's plan. Uh, I, the, the way I say it's the way I express the exact same concept is just say, I'm going to surrender to the universe and not try and control or no, I'm just going to show up. I'm going to do the best thing that I can and help people where I can. And then whatever it leads to, it leads. Okay. I got a challenge for you. Ready? Yep. I was having a picnic with Terry. We had a date night. A couple of nights ago, we're on the front lawn of one of the beautiful museums here in Houston. There's nobody out. We're having a picnic from our favorite restaurant. We've got our favorite uh, drink, and it's, it's just a beautiful evening. And I asked her the question, what would you do if the person was sitting right here to express gratitude to the person that meant the most to you in life? And she said, well, that would be this guy because he gave me a chance in my career. And look at my career. It's been you know flowering. And I, I would call him and say that to him. And I said, Call him right now. And she's from Chicago. She's like, you're from Chicago, aren't you? Yeah, I spent seven years there. So basically. Okay, basically Chicago. So you know how Midwestern friendly and polite they are, maybe to a fault. Of course, right? Of course. So she's like, oh, I would not dare take his family. This is like 630. I dare not dare take his family time away from us. Terry, he would love to hear from you. Just give him a call. Come on. And I'm pushing her and she's going, no, please. I'll call him in the morning. And so I said, honey, I'm going to call my professor from college who taught me the love of the word, the written word. He wrote a book called Writing with Style. John Trimble's class had 400 people trying to get 14 slots, and he completely changed the trajectory of my life. I love writing because of him. I have always had a book in me or two or three because of him, and I wanted to, I'm going to call him right now. So I call up John Trimble, and this is my challenge to you. I would like you to challenge you, Tucker, next time I talk to you to tell me you have made that call the person who had the biggest impact, probably not your father or mother, but somebody outside of that circle and tell them how much. What if they're dead? I know exactly who I want to call, but they're both dead. That would be tricky. <laughs> like there's no psychedelics that can help me with that, man. No, I'm sorry. You're going to have to get another <laughs> answer from somebody me. But I, I called this guy and let me tell you what happened. That was a miracle. First of all, it's a miracle just giving gratitude to anybody, but giving gratitude to someone that important in your life. So, hey, man, John, how are you doing? I haven't talked to you in three decades, and I'm so glad that we've connected tonight. And he says, not good, Ron. He goes, I got my unplugged uh, blinding headaches. I've got, I can't sleep. I, I've lost 14 pounds in the last 14 days. I don't know what's going oh, on. No. I said, dude, classic adrenal fatigue. I'm not a doctor. I just play one on TV. You know, I pretend to be one on these shows, but I'm not. 
a doctor, but adrenal fatigue, you've got it. My friend whose daughter is a world champion bicyclist, she had it, exactly the same thing. She's 11 years old and now she's back on track again with a few supplements. Here's the doctor, I'm gonna have this functional medicine guy call you, he's the world's best that I know, and here's the supplements on Whole Foods he'll probably suggest you take for adrenal fatigue. And he called me the next morning, he goes, like night and day bar shop, he goes, thank you, I didn't expect a student 30 from 45 years ago in my past to call me and save my life. He goes, you literally saved my life. I was, I was just giving up hope every day more and more. And so what turned into a gratitude call and a call of love turned into just and then he reminded me that his favorite book he ever got of all time was a, a book called Pattern Language, which is all about how to build a house for the maximum architecture for really life, living life. And he built all his houses based on this book I gave him. And then he told, I told him of some stories how he had changed my life. And, today, and every morning when I wake up and write, I think of him. It was just beautiful. So if you can maybe pick that third person, Tucker, maybe that fourth person. <laughs> okay, yeah. I will. I will. Right. Let me think about it. I will. All right. Living, living, but not dead. It's not one of those living or dead challenges, unless you have a medium. Um, well, so Tucker, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed talking to you. We'll do this again, but if you have a book in you, and I'm, I, I think it's safe to say, Tucker, that everybody listening has a book in them. Isn't that true? Yes. I, even if you don't have a business book, which a lot of people don't, what you have is your story. And I think you, every single person on earth should tell their story in a book, even if no one reads it outside of your family. And I'll, let me give you a really quick example sure, of why. Sure. So um, I am 25% Jewish. I learned this uh, about five years ago when I did 23andMe. My dad is 50% Jewish and my granddad is 100% Jewish. Both my dad and my granddad were raised and grew up thinking they were Catholic mm. because my great-grandmother, you know, my dad's grandmother, her and her husband, um, my great-grandfather, immigrated from Hungary uh, right before World War I, uh, during one of the many persecutions before the big one in World War II. And uh, uh, th they left, came to Ellis Island, anglicized their name, moved to Los Angeles, just decided they were Catholic and never told anyone. Hmm. And so, like, I, at this point, I would pay anything to hear their story. Like to be able to read their story and understand why, you know, like Ashkenazi Hungarian Jews running from one of the many persecutions coming to America, all of that stuff. Um, like that's infinitely valuable to me. And, uh, and, and my grandfather, my gra their son uh, uh, fought in World War II, was like one of the flying tigers. Like his stories, I mean, we don't have either one. They're all dead, you know? And so at a minimum, uh, your descendants will want to know where they came from and understand you at a minimum. But, but what you'll find is if you write that story, you're gonna, your, your story about your pain and your truth will be someone else's manual on how to get through theirs. Dad was uh, 20 years ago this month, discovered he had basically terminal cancer. And so I went to my EO form. And by the way, um, Tucker speaks at EO chapters and YPO across the country. He is an amazingly funny and clean speaker, if you ask him to be, but um, just killed it here in Houston a few months ago before. Remember those days when we used to have meetings, Tucker? Remember those? <laughs> In-person meetings, yeah, those right? kind of, go to restaurants? Way back when. <laughs> Seems like a thousand years ago. Um, but so so the point is that my father had, we knew he was dying and we, I, uh, my EO forum said, what you need to do is get him on video. 
And so I had done the book for my grandfather at his funeral, and I didn't want to wait that long for dad. So I said, dad, here's 67 questions. And I had, I think it was called the book of why, and they, they give you these great questions. And I said, let's get together and do this on tape. And then I'm going to answer, ask 16 of your best friends that know different shades of Phil Barshop, what their story is about you. Cause I did that at the funeral. And it turned into a book for my grandfather. Our family still treasures. So I got all those great stories. Well, I did it with dad and it turns out his friend's stories were better than him. Like he was super charismatic and fun and charming and all that. But his friend's stories were just freaking hilarious, like drop dead, you know, pee in your pants, hilarious. And so we made a video of that instead of, you know, a 16 hour video for these grandkids with ADD, we just turned it into an hour edited video and we gave it to each of them for their bar and bat mitzvahs. And that was my present to them as a uh, life history, uh, well, wisdom history from their grandfather um, as seen through the other eyes and his eyes. And then I don't know, about a year ago, so there's a real estate luncheon that honors him in San Antonio. They asked me to take that video and just sort of turn it into a six minute clip. And we turned that into 10 wisdom pieces for the real estate community of San Antonio that uh, with this organization he founded called the Real Estate Council. And so his story has actually now had a ripple effect in 10 kids' lives and now 400 real estate developers' lives in San Antonio. And it, it was just such a bitter, such a sweet moment for me to get in front of a group of strangers and tell his story one more time. So you're exactly right, Tucker, get those stories down. Um, have you ever sat next to somebody in an airplane that looked like scary, boring, or, and then they turn out to be incredibly interesting? Of course, of course. Okay, so we, we've all had that experience. Dick Cabot is famous for saying that, what would you do, and he was like the guy that can make a boring interview interesting, what would you do if you found the world's most boring guy and he was on your show? What, how would you handle that? And he said, what do you think he said to answer that? He probably said there's something interesting about everyone and I would try and find it. Well, so the, so the caveat is this guy had literally nothing interesting. He could, he is literally the most boring guy on a, like a 10 X factor. And he said, what I would do with that guy is try to come up with why he became so boring in his life. Like what's the trajectory of a life of the most boring guy on earth. That in itself is an interesting story. So if you're listening and you think you're the most boring guy or gal on earth, you're not. And Tucker's here to tell you there's a book in you. Yep. Okay. Totally. Absolutely. All right. Well, so I think we've done a pretty good promo for you. What do you think? I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> okay, well, this was fun, and we'll do it again. And I will be watching your career and sharing your friendship and your dinner table, I hope, for a long, long time. And I've enjoyed getting to know Veronica, and I hope to get to know your kids once this is all over. Thank you, man. Excited. Okay. All right. Thanks again, Tucker. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.